Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24, and we are going to read through verse 51. Please follow along in your Bible as I read. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the weed along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. All these things he said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and he went to the house and disciples came to him saying, explain to us the weeds, the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered them. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end, is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels. They will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a, fa- oh, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and, and bought it. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down, sorted the good into the containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be gnashing, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Verse 51, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to this text this morning, these six parables. Speak to us powerfully, O God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you know the name George Lyle, born in 1750, died in 1820. He uh, is someone that we have highlighted a number of times at the Garden. We highly respect George Lyle. He was born a slave, became a Baptist pastor, was then the first, became the first missionary out of America. The first missionary, not the first African-American missionary, the first missionary from America to Jamaica. 
It was after he was released as a slave in 1782 that he then, his heart was broken for the Jamaicans. He went to Jamaica at the time. Very few Christians there. He went particularly with a heart for the poor, the slaves. Began to preach the gospel there. Now, he started a church in Kingston with just four people. It was him, his wife, and two others. Just four people. And all Jamaica before them. Now, he just continued to faithfully preach the gospel. And after eight years, he was able to have seen 500 people baptized. Now, his 40-year ministry in Jamaica was anything but easy. Around the year 1802, the government made preaching to the slaves illegal. Wow. (laughs) That is demonic. George Lyle continued to preach to the slaves, was arrested, thrown in the jail. Many of his peers were whipped. Some of them murdered for preaching to the slaves. This was the context in which he pastored, in which he ministered. His life was anything but easy. And I have to uh, believe that at some point, if he's human, at some point, George Lyle had to just stop for a moment and think, man, is it really worth all this? Like, this is really hard. This life is really hard. And he had to have asked the question at some point, is Jesus really worth it? I don't know if he did or didn't. But either way, he continued to push in faithfulness, sharing the gospel faithfully. And let me just tell you what God did through his ministry. By the year 1814, there were 8,000 people who had been converted through either his or a, uh, a ministry of someone that he brought to Jamaica. 8,000. By the year 1832, that number had grown to 20,000 people who came to know Christ. And by 1833, on July 31st, 13 years after George Lyle's death, slavery was emancipated in Jamaica due to the influence of George Lyle. He began a slave, began in Jamaica with four people. All right, here's, here's the topic that I want to preach to you on this morning. Don't despise small beginnings. Everybody say that with me. Don't despise small beginnings. Now, I I grabbed my title from Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, which has to do with the building of God's house. And at the beginning of the building of God's house, it was told to them, do not despise small beginnings. But we're not looking at Zechariah today. We're looking actually at six different parables. Now, as we read through these parables, I'm looking for a theme in these as I'm about to preach them to you, all right? And as I'm reading through them in my study time, I see something. And let's see if you guys can pick up on it. Verse 24, the kingdom of heaven might be compared to. Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like. What do you think the theme is? The kingdom of heaven. Exactly. Now, even more than that, 
As we dig deep into this, what we see is that the kingdom of heaven is in the midst of weeds. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast hidden in wheat. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed buried in the ground. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl that you can't, you can't find. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, got to slow down a little bit here. The kingdom of heaven is something you can't see right now. The kingdom of heaven is hidden. That's really the theme of these parables. It's hard to see it right now, and because it's hard to see it right now, sometimes we begin to devalue the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? It's not just heaven. It's not just the fu- something about the future. It's not just something about social change or progress. The kingdom of heaven is about Listen to this, the rule and reign of God in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is about the rule and reign of God in Jesus Christ, and it is alive and active now in the hearts of God's people, and one day it will be physical. Another way to put it is this, the kingdom of heaven, the blessings of the kingdom right now are available to you right now spiritually. The scriptures say that you have every spiritual blessing, every single one of them. There is not a spiritual blessing that a Christian does not have right now. You are a citizen of God's kingdom, yet you do not have the physical blessings of God's kingdom. That is to come. And this is, the, this is sort of the era, the age that we live in, and this is what makes us sometimes uh, question and devalue the kingdom of heaven is because it's not physical, Because we can't see it and say, there it is, or it's over there. No, it's in your heart, Jesus said. And so because you can't see it, we tend to devalue it. And so look where these parables go. The last two parables that we're going to focus on here have to do with this this fact that the, the, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. It's worth giving up everything. It's worth everything to lose. Or it's worth losing, I'm sorry, everything in order to gain the kingdom of heaven. Let me give you the context of verse 44. We see this this parable that Jesus tells of this buried treasure. Now, this is before the days of banks. So if you have a treasure, right, which I'm sure all of you have massive treasures, you, 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 you couldn't store your treasure in the bank. So what do you do with your treasure? You buried it in the ground back in the day. Now, it was not uncommon for someone to bury a treasure and then that owner to die, and that treasure remains buried in this land for a very long time until someone accidentally finds it. Jesus tells a story about this. There's a a man, probably a servant. He's digging in a field. He finds a buried treasure. What does he do? He puts it back in the ground, covers it back up. He goes home, and he sells everything that he has. His wife must have been going crazy in this moment. Why did you just sell our car? Why did you just sell your wedding ring? Why did you, where are my clothes? He's shipping them up, eBay. Why why are you talking to a realtor? He sold his, his old basketball card collection. He sold his signed Michael Jordan basketball. He sold everything. And he took that money, and he bought the field, and he gained the whole world. You see, the kingdom of heaven, thank you, Tony. 
the kingdom of heaven is worth losing everything for. It is that valuable. It is that, that much of a treasure. And so Matthew wants us to understand that the kingdom of heaven has this kind of value and that we are to cherish it. Yet Matthew also understands, as he's telling us Jesus' parables here, he also understands that we're living in this world of weeds. We're living in this world where we can't see it. I want to summarize the whole, my whole message to you in, in one fairly lengthy sentence. So you can like hear this and then you can go to sleep and you'll be good to go, all right? Just hear this fairly lengthy sentence. Since the kingdom of heaven is not much to look at right now, and easy then to underestimate, we must know how the kingdom of heaven begins and how it grows so that we might know that it's worth losing everything for. So let's just break this down here. Let's look at his parables first. Let's look at how the kingdom of heaven begins. And it begins in this way. It is mixed with corruption. Everybody say the word corruption. The kingdom of heaven begins mixed with corruption. I have a, I have a real life example of Jesus parable. I bragged about my grass last week, right? Right? Do you remember that? Well, this week I've got crabgrass now shooting up in my grass, all right? (laughs) Teaches me a lesson, doesn't it? I ain't going to brag about nothing anymore. (laughs) But anyway, when I first planted my grass, crabgrass, for those of you non-grass people, crabgrass is a very nasty, evasive weed. It looks a lot like grass, but its, its roots spread and it just takes over your lawn. When I first planted my grass in my little backyard on McCullough Street, I had about 30% good grass, about 5% dirt, and about 65%, if my math's right there, crabgrass. It was pretty disheartening, right? Like, I thought I would have this lush little lawn, and I'm dealing with all, this, all these weeds, This is the parable that he tells. He says the kingdom of heaven is like that. He says here, uh, and he also explains it for us. He says a sower comes along. In verse 37, we learn that the sower is Jesus. A sower comes along and he sows good seeds, wheat. It's going to grow up and be luscious and good. But then he says an enemy comes along. In verse 39, we see that the enemy is the devil. And the devil sows bad seed. Seeds of corruption, weeds in this field. And he says the field represents the world. Now, the weeds in this original context would be a weed called darnel. Darnel was a nasty weed, kind of like crabgrass. It looked a lot like wheat. The, the, The roots of darnel would get entangled in the roots of the wheat. And so the problem then is if you were to go and try to pull it up, you're going to be uprooting a lot of the good stuff and accidentally pulling up some wheat because darnel and wheat look a lot alike. And so what he's saying here is like we are in a mess right now. (laughs) Like the kingdom of heaven begins mixed in 
sewn in with a whole bunch of corruption. It doesn't look like much right now. And so then, therefore, it is easy to begin to devalue the kingdom of heaven. It's easy to begin to question the power and the strength of Jesus Christ. Has he really conquered? I don't know. I'm looking at the weeds. We know the weeds, don't we? We know the weeds Let me in, in two ways. Out there as well as in here. We know the weeds. Out there, some of you guys work with weeds, don't you? Just people who are angry, idolaters, gossips, complainers. Some of you live among weeds, some neighbors that are really hard to deal with. And even most recently, guys, even in our neighborhood, like dealing with the continued violence in Baltimore. Let me just be real for a moment. We learned, the neighborhood learned, what was it, Thursday morning? Bloody footsteps going from Druid Hill all the way across Utah with pools of blood the whole way, barefoot footsteps. The next day, A man who hangs out right on the corner down here was shot and killed right on this corner. We are are in the midst of corruption. And it is so easy to be so torn up about the violence that's all around us, the violence that you might see even in your own home and in your own heart, and just begin to question, like, God, do you have any power? Like, what's going on? Like we're, we're trying to faithfully minister and faithfully preach the gospel, and this stuff is happening right around us. What is this? Well, we learn right here, Jesus tells us. You're sown in the midst of corruption. You're sown in the midst of weeds, and we feel it. You're, you look at your own marriage, and you see corruption in your marriage, and you're wondering if you're even going to make it, or you look at your life as a single person, you just see so much corruption and challenges or or, or, or racism and bigotry that we're dealing with in the world. We are in the middle of corruption. We know the weeds, but we also know the weeds in here. We, we recognize that even though I'm a, I'm a wheat, the roots of the weeds have entangled my legs, and I can't begin pulling up the weeds without pulling up myself because I'm a mess. You still have anger in your heart. Lust in your, in your brain. Habits that you can't run away from. We know the weeds. Now the surprising turn in the parable is when the, the servants come to Jesus and they say, uh, do you want us to pull the weeds up? Which seems like the logical thing to do. And Jesus says, no, lest you pull up the, the weed. Let the weeds grow. Listen, don't pull up the weeds. In this age that we live in, are we to pull up the weeds? Destroy the weeds? Don't pull up the weeds? We look through church history and we see vile corruption in which the church tried to pull up the weeds. 
the Crusades, the Inquisition, bombing abortion clinics, believing that the Muslims are the problem. If we could just get rid of all the Muslims, then we'll be fine. Trying to separate ourselves from any kind of corruption of, of sinners, of non-Christians, and, and, and maybe, maybe we can create a Christian cul-de-sac. You've got to like sign a confession of faith in order to buy a house in this neighborhood. Right? And then we'll finally be freed from the weeds. In some ways, this is, this is seen in the monastic movement. If you know anything about the monastic movement within the church, it goes way back. There's a lot of good that came out of it. However, at the same time, it was built on this concept that we could withdraw from the world and create a holy house. And by the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther called the monasteries dens of thieves and houses of prostitution. Because what they discovered was that while you can separate from non-Christians, you cannot separate yourself from sin. Like, we are not in an era in which we are to separate ourselves from the weeds. Now, check this out. Separation is coming. We see this in verses 41 through 43. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out all the causes of sin. They will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, hell is a reality. I don't talk about hell lightly. And those of you that have been with the garden for a while, you know that. We don't flippantly make jokes about hell. It's too real to make fun of. It's too real to make light of. Hell is a reality, eternal Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some Christians would like to believe in annihilation. I would like to believe in annihilation. Annihilation would be nice for those who are in hell. Eternal separation from God. But listen, God is a just and right God, and he never judges wrongly. He throws no one into eternal hell wrongly. Now, at the same time with the separation, those who are sons of God, children of God, daughters of God, it says in verse 40, 43, will shine like the sun. Look at each other right now. Just briefly, look at each other. You all will be more glorious and more beautiful than anything you can imagine. Like, if you are a child of God, you have repented of your sins, turned to Christ, God has saved you, we will be with each other for all of eternity in heaven. And I will look at you and you will be beautiful. I'll be like, oh my goodness, you were like, not so back, you know, but like, wow, the radiance of the sun. You know what I mean? Like shine, not because of a beauty that comes from within, but it's reflecting the beauty of God in Jesus Christ. So this separation is coming, but listen, this is my point, is that's not our job right now. God has not called us to do the work of separation. We're called to be in the world. So let me just give you a little example of this. Like I said, there's a murder on the corner, all right? The world says it's time to move out. Jesus says it's time to move in. We don't run from corruption. We run to it. We're in the midst of it. We're not surprised by it. We're not afraid of it. Jesus has said, this is going to be your life. And by the way, he says earlier on in Matthew, if the salt 
loses its saltiness, how can you ever be any good? If the light just runs out of any place where there's violence and any place where there's bloody footsteps and murders, if the light just kind of always is kind of running to Christian ghettos to get away and from, from the sin, that friends, you're putting, a, you're putting a cap on your light. How can your light ever shine? No, it is more fun to be the light in the dark than it is to be the light in the light. God has called us now to live in the dark. Our commitment to Baltimore City as a church is rooted in this reality that we are sown in the midst of corruption and we are happy to be here. Our commitment to discipling folks, our commitment to fighting for social justice, our commitment to caring for the hurting, it's rooted in this reality that we are in the midst of corruption and we are to be salt and light. We are not to separate. We're not to run. There's no such thing as a Christian cul-de-sac. Because <laughs> as soon as you get Christians together, you realize that each one of you are sinners. So for now, we don't separate. But for now, we're in this, this, this season in which we intentionally live as salt and light. Now, as a result, however, of living in the midst of corruption, I am telling you, I've been here for eight years now on McCullough in the neighborhood trying to serve. And I will say that when you are regularly facing challenges, and you're seeing corruption, it is easy to begin questioning the power of God. Like some of you right now, like in your own homes, there are so many challenges that you're facing. It's easy to begin questioning the power of God. And so we need to see them. We need to understand then not only how it begins, but how it grows, how the kingdom of heaven grows. And this is how it grows. We're going to look at the next two parables. The kingdom of heaven grows under the radar. Let me illustrate this for you. A, a guy that I know, he, he worked for naval intelligence during the, in the 1980s during, toward the end of the co- cold, can't speak, the Cold War. All right, so think like espionage and like James Bond sort of stuff, all right? So he's sending submarines uh, up these rivers in Russia to collect data. And what he told me was what we did, and this is essentially how the U.S. Got the, got the upper hand on the Soviet Union toward the end of the Cold War, is they sent these subs up in sometimes like rivers as shallow as like 8 or 10 feet. And these small little submarines packed with supplies and one soldier, one spy, would go up these rivers and just sit on the bottom of a river. People probably kayaking over top of it. They don't even know. They would just sit there, and they would, for six months, just collect data. And they were not allowed to communicate with anybody else because their signal could be detected. And they wanted them to be completely undetected. Now, check it out. The kingdom of God spreads, advances under the radar. 
Under the radar. It's an idiom. I looked it up, all right? We use it all the time, but it's an idiom that, that means undetected uh, in a secretive manner. Meaning we're, we're looking around at the challenges. We're looking around. We're experiencing the weeds out there or in here. We're experiencing it. We know what the weeds are. And we're wondering. I don't know. It's kind of hard to believe that the kingdom of God is actually advancing. It's hard to believe that Jesus Christ is, is actually advancing in this world that he's actually conquered and conquering and will conquer. But it's because the kingdom of God advances under the radar. Pastor Sandy Wilson, he explained it in this way. He said, imagine back in Jesus' day, there was a time where Jesus had no followers. It was just him. Just him. And then he asked two people to follow him, and those two people followed Jesus. Now there's three of them. Now, the world at that time was about 100,000 people, all right, the known world. And there were three of them. And these two guys now following Jesus are to believe that he is indeed God, the king, whose kingdom will one day take over the entire world. It doesn't look like much right now. I mean, even, even after Jesus' death, everybody scatters. And even after his resurrection, they come together, but now they're persecuted. I mean, Matthew, in some ways, is written to give hope to those. So you, we see these parables here. It's like a mustard seed. A mustard, so the, it was the tiniest, the smallest known seed at the time. A little seed planted. You've got no clue. It's even there. Oh, but it's going to burst forth. Or it's like leaven, such small little, what is leaven? I, uh, come on, help me out. Yeast? Is that a grain? Can we call it a grain, somebody? Whatever it is, it's like a little thing, okay? And you put it into the flour, and you don't even know that it's moving through it, right? But overnight, something happens. This is the way the kingdom of God is expanding, moving, spreading, advancing. Now, in a way that you cannot see in a way that you cannot detect. And so what he's saying to the early Christians is, is, don't lose hope in the midst of persecution, in the midst of believing that maybe this Jesus thing is just not going to work out after all. Don't lose hope. And friends, we know that the gospel has indeed spread across the globe. And we know that the gospel is continuing to advance. Let me apply this in two ways, personally as well as globally. Personally. The kingdom of God is in you and is advancing even when you don't realize it. Like you're looking at the weeds in your own life and you're like, man, I don't like the corruption I see. I still am dealing with these old anger issues. I'm still dealing with these bad habits. I'm still dealing with all of these feelings of depression. And like I don't like the issues that I'm feeling. I've got corruption in my life, in my marriage, etc. Don't despise small beginnings. God is working in you. And this is written to give you encouragement. Give it some time. Stick with Jesus. And in 30 years, you're going to see how that yeast just kind of spreads through the entire lump. And you grow. He's growing you individually. The kingdom is within, but now globally as well. How does the kingdom advance right now? 
Jaden Gadsden could tell you. He just spent the entire summer in the Philippines sharing the gospel. The message is how the kingdom advances right now. As the message of the gospel is shared, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that all who turn from their sins and trust in him are forgiven of their sins and have the hope of one day being raised with him to new life. That message advances the kingdom in this world. Jaden told me there's 30 unreached people groups in the Philippines, and I want to encourage Jaden this morning. God has his people there just waiting to hear the gospel. Seeds which have been sown just waiting to hear the gospel. And his message will continue to advance around the globe until all of the wheat have been brought in. And on that day and only on that day will Jesus Christ return. And the kingdom which is now spiritual will then be physical. And we will not only receive the spiritual blessings of the kingdom, but we will receive the physical blessings of the kingdom. And on that day, every tear will be wiped away. And we will live forever with God. But right now, you just can't see it. But don't lose hope. It's like a hidden treasure. Because we can't see it, it's easy to devalue the kingdom of God. But it's like a hidden treasure. This is the last two parables. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who finds a pearl and sells everything to grab the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like this, this man who finds the treasure buried in a field and he sells everything that he has. And the world in that moment has to think he's so crazy. You lose everything for this kingdom. Oh, but he found a pearl of great price. A hidden treasure. It's worth losing everything for. What must you give up to follow Jesus? What is wor Jesus worth to you? You see, it's so easy. We devalue it. We wonder, like, I don't see it. The sin, people who are sinning actively seem like they're actually having more fun than me. They seem like they have a better life, and here I am trying to do the right thing, and I got problems. I don't know. Right now, the kingdom of God seems like weakness. Right now, it seems like powerlessness. But friends, it's advancing, and it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. The kingdom of heaven is worth it. He's worth losing everything. He's worth losing any relationship, any human relationship that would keep you from Jesus. He's worth losing a boyfriend or a girlfriend that would keep you from Jesus. He's worth getting up on Sunday mornings when you're tired to go to church. He's worth it. He's worth giving up an evening to go meet with an accountability partner to keep fighting against sin. He's worth losing a job because the job asks you to do something unethical. He's worth working long and hard hours to provide for your family because that's what God has called you to do. He's worth the pain and the hurt of giving up an addiction. He's worth every iPhone and every tablet and every computer that allows you to get on websites that you shouldn't be on. What do you need to lose? What do you need to give up? 
And friends, the answer is everything. Everything that would keep me from Jesus, I say goodbye. And the world thinks you're crazy. But he's worth it. Jesus gave up everything for you. Being found in the likeness of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a servant, humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross. Behold the man upon the cross my sins upon his shoulders, ashamed. I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. But he seems so small right now. He seems so powerless right now. He see, the, the, the message just seems so ineffective right now. The church seems so ineffective right now. Do not judge the effectiveness of God's kingdom or God's people or God's church based on what you can see with your eyes. Jesus is moving. Jesus has conquered. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time that we can gather together as your people, brothers and sisters, united in Jesus Christ, saved by his blood. God, raise us up as a family. Encourage us with these truths. May they take root in our lives and in our hearts. May we treasure Jesus more than anything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...